0: Let's just open in prayer as we transition to a time of hearing and reflecting upon the the Word of God. Dear Father, in your kindness and grace, open our hearts and minds to hear your Word to us. We know that we depend on you, as uh, Psalm 119 points out so clearly. We depend on you to teach us, to open our hearts, to get through our our thick skins, our calluses, our rebellion, our being overcome by worry and anxiety and busyness. We need you to break through that and speak to us and encourage each of us, wherever we are in our relationship with you, we all need you, and we confess that. And again, we are thankful uh, that we have this holiday in the United States called Memorial Day, which we specifically remember those who died uh, in uh, in service to our nation in, in battles and uh, various theaters of war. We're thankful for them. We, we know that freedom is not free. Uh, we thank you so much that this even teaches us about the biggest reality of Jesus, our Savior, who gave himself so that we can have freedom. He died in our place so that we don't have to, and he took your own wrath, the wrath of God, O oh Father, for us. So we praise you for uh, this, O oh Lord, and we thank you for the freedom we have to meet together here. Um, we're, we're comfortable. We sit in a nice, clean quiet, peaceful room, and we usher our children off to a a safe setting, and um, we are just thankful for this, and Lord, we know it's a, a, a blessing, an undeserved blessing, and it's actually a wealth of investment that you have given to us, and it's truly our prayer that we would be improved by it and ready to serve you because of this opportunity we have. So we praise you and bless you through Christ alone. Amen. So we're studying the Gospel of Mark. You know, the New Testament begins with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So the second book, and we're at the end of the second chapter of Mark. A friend of mine commented to me just the other day, Mark is a great example of the power of brevity. He's short, to the point, and uh, his book doesn't have a lot of lead-up. It just gets right into the action. Boom, there we are. And Jesus, Mark really covers essentially the the last year, uh, mainly, of Jesus' ministry. Jesus had an active ministry of about three years. You wouldn't even know that from Mark, but you know that from the Gospel of John. Uh, But Mark focuses in on the active last year, essentially. And early on in this book, right right on in the first and the second chapter, he's starting to bring in the conflict, bring in the opposition from the Jewish leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees. And uh, today, we have this conflict growing. And what occurs to me is in god's sovereignty he doesn't waste stuff this this conflict is his perfect plan uh, first of all he's going to use this conflict to bring very clear definition to who jesus is over the next uh, you know many many chapters uh, the next 14 chapters will we'll be going through a lot of conflict and he records it all very carefully so that we can see who Jesus is. And then ultimately, of course, what happens is it comes to a head and they win the battle of the screaming match, and they crucify Jesus in this conflict. And out of that, in God's beautiful grace, comes this uh, uh, you know fountain of forgiveness and love and grace. And it's the beautiful irony that Satan and those who were evil against Jesus think they're winning the battle, and at the precise moment, they think, "Aha, we've got you." Right there is where God is winning winning the battle. Um, so it's so awesome. It's a beautiful story. God is uh, demonstrating the value of conflict, actually. And you know, actually, every book you read, every movie you watch, it wouldn't be anything without conflict, would it? Uh, you know, some guy sitting in a chair for two hours wouldn't be that exciting. Uh, but if you have somebody sneaking up behind him, <laughs> excuse me, <clears throat> then it, then it becomes exciting. And and so I I just kind of I want to start on sort of this whole general idea that. Conflict can bring clarity, can bring definition, and even in our own lives, because you know quite frankly i don 't like I do not like conflict i 'd rather have just just plain old peace and quiet all the time, and i 'd probably be sort of a couch potato um, just just sitting there, uh, but God in his wisdom has brought lots of challenge into my life, and probably yours too. And even lots of conflict, lots of difficulty, lots of challenging events and uh, emotions and uh, time periods that we go through. And and God desires those to bring clarity into our lives, bring definition. Who are you? What do you believe? What do you really stand for? Uh, Who are you going to call upon for help? And conflict and difficulty brings all of that out. So let's look at the text for this morning as I have it on the screen. It's Mark 2, 18 through 28. These two stories that finish out chapter 2. Here is the word of God. Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And... No one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is destroyed and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields and as they made their way, the disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. So today I want to have essentially a two-part outline. The, The introductory idea is that this conflict, see, Jesus is here, he's been doing wonderful things, healing hundreds of people, hundreds and hundreds, and casting out demons, having power over evil, and teaching, preaching the gospel. He's been proclaiming the good news that you can be a part of God's kingdom. You can have your sins forgiven. Um, you know, he, he, the paralytic was—they broke through the roof. He was preaching in this house, and there was so full, there was no way to get in. And four guys broke through the roof and lowered this paralytic down right in front of him. And Jesus says, "Son, your sins are forgiven." Jesus is preaching the best healing ever—eternal, forever healing. You can have your sins forgiven. And you know, honestly, from my naive perspective, I'm saying, why would anybody oppose this? He's doing good stuff and preaching wonderful things. Uh, but of course, that's naive because they have their own religion. They have their own culture. Uh, a lot of people say, you know, they say, let's stop mission efforts. The whole idea of mission effort is a is an affront to human Dignity, because we're going to go to some foreign culture. They have their culture there. They have their own religion. Leave them alone. Why are you coming bringing this foreign idea into their nation? Uh, Well, the Bible says the gospel is for all people, every man, every human being is in the same condition. Uh, We all need to be forgiven. We all need the blood of Christ to cover our sins, no matter where you live. And and so Jesus is preaching this and it brings conflict because the Pharisees notice this is different. This is different. So this conflict is a divine opportunity for definition. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And my two-point outline is this. Clearly, Jesus is not a minor repair. And then secondly, clearly, Jesus brings a whole new life. So let's look at this minor repair idea. Clearly, Jesus is not a minor repair. It's In this first story, let me read it again with a little bit more commentary. Now, John's disciples, those are, that's John the Baptist. He's been in prison for a while, and he, but he still has disciples that haven't come over to Jesus yet. And then also the Pharisees and their disciples, both of these groups of people are fasting on a regular basis. The Pharisees fasted two days a week. They fasted on Mondays and Thursdays. And John's disciples apparently had picked up this pattern. They were probably fasting right along with the Pharisees. And then they noticed that, remember, I had this picture up last week. It's a medieval painting of a banquet. Remember I said this was what happened after Jesus called Levi the tax collector to himself. Levi threw a massive party for Jesus and his disciples. And they were, Levi was wealthy. And they were feasting on the best foods ever, the best wines ever, having a raucous, wonderful party. And the Pharisees and John's disciples—it it was, prob- was probably on a fast day. See, it's likely it was possible. This is a possibility, a little speculation—not not from me, but one of the commentators I read. <coughs> Excuse me. You know, and wouldn't that tick them off? You know, you're, you're in there having the finest cuts of beef, you know, delicious vegetables, fantastic wines. You're feasting. We're fasting, and it's irritating that you're doing that. Why, Jesus? Why? John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came. And, you know, notice that, and people came. <laughs> it's always, people are saying, right? This is where the conflict, where the criticism comes from. People are talking, Jesus. Uh, look it down. Uh, Pick it up in... The next conflict, the one about the Sabbath. Um, Mark uses special language in verse 24. And the Pharisees were saying to him, that's the verb tense there is called an imperfect. Which means they they just kept saying this. They kept coming at him, saying this over and over and over again. He could have used a simple past they said to him. But they were saying to him, there's a lot of talk Jesus. People are concerned about you, you're doing something that we do not appreciate. Um, now, it's interesting, by the way. Do you know how many fasts, and this isn't fair because I didn't know this clearly till this past week. Do you know how many fasts that the law of Moses, the, in other words, the Bible, actually required of the Jewish nation? How many fasts? Like, wild guesses. Per year, per year. Okay, that's a good guess. (laughs) One. One fast on on the Day of Atonement. The great fast day. Uh, And these guys have kind of upped the ante, right? Well, God thinks one is good. (laughs) We think, you know, 52 times 2, that's uh, 104, right? We think 104 is better. And if you do not abide by the 104 fasts, That we like to participate in, there's something wrong with your spirituality. We are just better than you. Let's just face it. Why? Well, because we fast 104 times a year. And you were in there feasting, and we were out here. Wow, that smells good. I hate those guys. (laughs) They're out there barbecuing in the street again. Those crazy Baptists. You heard the joke right about the show and tell. It was a religious show and tell, and the kids were supposed to bring something that represented their their faith. And so the little uh, little Catholic boy brought a crucifix to class, and it was all very inspiring. And then the little Jewish boy brought a star of David, which is wonderful. And the, the uh, little Baptist boy brought in a casserole dish. <laughs> 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 yeah. Sorry, you know. Anyway, (laughs) so the Pharisees were very religious. They did this 12-hour fast on Mondays and Thursdays. And they had this as the standard for a true believer. And this was a part of a whole body of laws. This was their thing. They called it building a hedge. Around the law of God. The law of God was here. That's good, God. We can improve on that. <laughs> Watch this tendency. Humans love to make rules. The longer you are in an organization, the, the longer the rule list becomes. And, you know, we, we've got our, an unusual situation. This happened one time. Let's make a rule. <laughs> There's got to be a rule about this. And then let's face it, thank the Lord. Most of the rules are forgotten <laughs> within a few years or whatever, but anyway that 's beside the point, maybe it 's not maybe it is the point um, but there 's this whole body of rules that uh, Jesus violated all the time he didn't if he 'd never violated the law of Moses, if it had been the fast day, they would not have been feasting, uh, but uh, he wasn 't connected to their form of religion. He is not a minor repair. He's not here to fix up a few flaws in the law of Moses. It's a completely different situation. And, and actually in this is the most glorious thing ever. And it's the f- most freeing thing ever. And it is the gospel. The awesome good news that you can't... It sounds sort of weird. This is good news. You can never measure up to God's standards. <laughs> you know, the good news is that that Jesus fully, completely, <laughs> you know, infinitely measures up to God's standards and we receive the gift of righteousness by faith. That's the good news. And it's the good news that needs to be preached and proclaimed everywhere. Because most people in this world, religious or otherwise, are living under this false, demonically inspired idea that guess what? You're pretty darn good. Have you seen the bumper sticker? Uh, Born okay the first time. The great California bumper sticker. I don't need to be born again. I was born okay the first time. Yeah, what are you suggesting? That I need to be completely reborn? You know, well, Jesus said you can't enter the kingdom of heaven unless you're born again. Unless the Spirit breathes life into our death, then we can't be uh, saved. We can't be right with God. So, anyway, so this is this glorious, beautiful, uh, freeing grace. Grace versus law that that Jesus is bringing in. He's not a minor fix. He fully completes the law, the law of Moses, and we're free from the law, having not to be lawless, not to be sinful, uh, but to live under the grace of Jesus Christ and not under a whole bunch of rules and um, that sort of thing. In fact, what does he say? He says, Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? These men aren't going to fast because I am the bridegroom. I am the one that they have been waiting for. When I am here, and by the way, Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. When I'm here, it's it's celebration. It's joy. Um, That is a corollary. I'm not against fasting, but by the way, it's never taught in the New Testament it, it's okay to fast, it's probably good for us, uh, there's physical advantages and spiritual advantages but it's, we're never told to do it we're never, it's never laid out why? God doesn't want us to be legalistic about stuff and he doesn't want us to have these spiritual exercises that make us feel superior to somebody else it's, he, he, no here's a nice quote about this, this beautiful strong statement See, because in the Old Testament, God is often called the the groom of of Israel. And also, of course, in the New Testament, Christ is the groom of the church. We are the bride. So this is a um, claim of Jesus to be God, to be the Messiah, to be the one that changes everything. This... uh, It says this, the the present statement answers the question of 2.18b with a Christological claim. All that the Old Testament said about fasting, the practice of Judaism in this area, all this is now put aside by one fact. Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ, the Son of God, is present. And his presence annuls this. Such a response by Jesus fits well what we have already seen in the book. There's several huge claims about the divinity of Jesus Christ already in Mark. Like, for example, who gives you the right to forgive sins? Jesus says, on earth, I have the right to forgive sins. Uh, Beautiful claims. But here's the last part of this sentence. But the enormity of this Christological claim should not be missed. This is an enormous, audacious claim of Jesus, saying, "I am the bridegroom. My presence annuls all of that. I fulfill it completely. Now it's time to celebrate." And uh, I, you know, I search the internet for decent images, and uh, don't always find them. But here's a, you know, kind of a fun image of, of it's. It's time to celebrate. The bridegroom is with us. Now you might say, well, I'm not sure if that really fits me. Well, is this what you're looking for? <laughs> yeah, pastor. That's what we're looking for. <laughs> Eeyore. <laughs> no, you know, I, 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 I you know, no. That, the church isn't a, 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 a funeral. It is a time to celebrate is we're celebrating who Jesus Christ is. Christ frees us from the law by fulfilling it. We're going to get to some scripture on that in just a couple of minutes as we move to point number two. Point number two, as I said, is clearly Jesus brings a whole new life. Let me read the text. We'll get down into, um, let's see, hold on a sec. Yeah. Yeah, we've got this, uh, I got a slide out of order. That doesn't matter. We'll come back to that slide. He uses two illustrations, okay? The the patch. See, Jesus is not a minor fix. He's not a little patch on the jeans. And he says, you know, if you take well-shrunk blue jeans, for example, and take a brand new piece of denim, cut it out, sew it on the patch. Not what is happening here. <laughs> this is proper, probably. But what happens with 100% cotton denim when you wash it, say in hot water, it shrinks a lot. It shrinks a lot. So if you sew it on to the hole, it shrinks. It's going to make a much bigger hole, a really big mess. And Jesus is saying by this illustration, I'm not here to fix a minor flaw in the law of Moses, the law of Moses was put in effect to bring us to Christ. we shouldn 't go in and mine out various rules and regulations in the law of Moses and inflict them on the church. Those are fulfilled in Christ. We have plenty of we have moral standards of the New Testament, uh, plenty. We go through the Old Testament and see illustrations of Jesus Christ, and we teach them, and we point to Christ through the feasts, through everything, through the sacrifice, through the sacrificial system, through the furniture in the temple, in the tabernacle. It points to Christ. It all points to Christ, for sure. But we don't go in and live according to those laws, uh, because they are fulfilled in Christ. He's not a little patch on the side. And the next illustration he uses is the wineskins. He says, I'm not old wine to be poured into this old wineskin. I'm a whole new way of coming to Christ. Come, right, I should say, coming to God. You know, if you notice, again, ceremony's fine. Uh, Incense is fine. Candles are fine. Uh, Costuming is fine, right? It's really, it's not a problem. We have some stained glass. Uh, One of our members, Andy Myers, died and left uh, his wife some money, and she uh, bought these beautiful windows for us. Gorgeous. They've been here for a very long time. (laughs) Something like 50 years probably. I have no problem with that beauty, right? But I don't appear before you in a priestly garment with, you know, golden pomegranates hanging at the bottom of it like would be according to the law of Moses. And we don't have a rigid way of worshiping the Lord where we have a rigid calendar and we have to follow this and do that and say this at the right moment and always have the book open and read the book, make sure we get it right. That, that can be a form of Christianity that's, that's okay. You know, uh, who am I to, to tell you that that's not good? You can have authentic Christian experience through the ritual. You understand what I'm saying? But the problem with it is, right? The problem is human beings automatically connect the ritual with the way to do it. This is what we have to do. And then the ritual takes on what? A magical mystery tour aspect to it. And if, if you get the magical mystery tour, then you've worshiped God. And if you, you know, take Holy Communion, that's all you need to do. You don't need to think about it. You don't need to read the Bible. You don't need to even submit to God because you took the magic, you know, thing. Um, so, so what I'm saying is the church has been free of that primarily, certainly in the early church. They met in homes, they met in graveyards uh, underneath Rome in the catacombs. They didn't even own buildings for many, uh, many years. And Jesus didn't come to put a patch on it. He came to bring a whole new thing. And the whole new thing is actually much more marvelous. Uh, And it, it actually brings salvation, which is the big deal which is the big thing. So the men were breaking up the grain as they walked along, and that was irritating to the Pharisees. Now, as I said, my final point. Clearly, Jesus brings a whole new life. And what's what's growing here in the book of Mark is the not the beginning of a, a major fix. We're not going to be become Jewish and be under the law of Moses continuing and being circumcised and worshiping on the Sabbath day. Uh, no, we're going to be free from that. Let me read the text again, verse 23 through 28. It says, One Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, Remember that little picture of grain? You probably don't need to see it again. Imagine that picture of grain. <laughs> the, the, as the disciples made their ways, they, they were plucking the grain and they were kind of hungry and they knew how to, you know, rub it between their hands and get the good little grains and pop a few in their mouth. I mean, it's not a very satisfying meal, but, you know, it's, it's something. And the Pharisees, as I said, the language is then, the Pharisees were saying to him on nonstop action here, look, Why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Uh, And he said to them, so first of all, he gives them two answers. First of all, he basically says, you guys, don't you remember, have you not read? There's incredible irony there because these guys read the Bible. (laughs) They knew it inside and out. And it's a little bit of a a little loaded when he says, have you not read? And Basic answer is, you guys are just being way too legalistic here. Haven't you read that even David, the great David, when his troops were hungry, went into the tabernacle? Clearly the temple did not exist at that time. And he got the bread of the presence and they ate it. Uh, And it was okay. The, The law is less restrictive than you are. The Mosaic law is actually way less restrictive. And by the way, it's okay to glean in fields. It's fine, according to the Mosaic law. Um, So they weren't breaking the Sabbath. In general, he says, you are being way too legalistic. So I got you on that point. But the big point is the rest here. Uh, Verse 26. Uh, Let's see. No, No, verse 27. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So he's saying, Human beings weren't ever supposed to be submitted to this thing that that uh, is this massive legalistic system that, that made their lives miserable, that they submitted to. No, this Sabbath was made for them, not them for the Sabbath. And here is the beautiful punchline, verse 28, though. So the Son of Man, he says, the Sabbath was made for man, And now the Son of Man, reference to Himself, is Lord even of the Sabbath. And this is huge. Because Jesus is saying, I am the Lord of all. I'm I'm the Lord of the law. I'm above that. And and if my men want to pick grain on the Sabbath, they are not breaking the rules because I am the master of the Sabbath. More importantly, in general, the Sabbath is supposed to be subservient to humans, and especially Jesus as the Lord, he is the Son of Man who is the Lord even of the Sabbath. So Jesus is the master of it all. This is one of my favorite verses. It's in the book of Hebrews. And it says this, in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old, is ready to vanish away. He's talking to the Hebrew Jews. And they they had this veneration for the law. And he says, you you have to understand, it's obsolete now. We are in a whole new thing, a whole new life. Uh, Jesus frees us from the law. He's fulfilled the law completely. And it is ready to vanish away. Just before we close, I'd like to look at a couple of important passages on this. Look with me to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians. So we've got somebody who just absolutely does not like Colossians. (laughs) Colossians chapter 2. This is amazing um, because what was happening in the early church is a whole bunch of people came to Christ and then these older Jewish Christians would come and say, oh, we think the men should be circumcised. We have this little surgery we'd like you to do. (laughs) And and then the other thing was um, they should be keeping the Sabbath. Since, Since the resurrection of Christ, the church has been worshiping on the first day of the week. Uh, and not on the Sabbath. And these are some amazingly strong words. Why aren't we Seventh-day Baptists? By the way, there is such a thing. Um, Baptists who worship on the Sabbath, or why aren't we Seventh-day Adventists? Um, This is what the Word of God says. Therefore, verse 6 of chapter 2, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, (laughs) rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith Just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See, that's our life. Abounding in joy, abounding in thanksgiving. All about Jesus Christ. Verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. He's saying there's a danger there's this incipient legalism. Humans like rules. You know, come to my religion, I'll tell you you can't drink coffee, and you'll feel good about it. You know, and I'll give you other rules, and if you live by these rules, you can check, 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 check the boxes, and you'll be great. And, and that's just not faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus is being enthralled with who He is, loving Him, passionate toward knowing and living for him. Much more to read here. I've got to read it through a lot here. Um, Verse 9. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, not fleshly by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. It's a reference to his, I think, his crucifixion. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him Having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, he set this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Okay, now if you zoned out, zone back in quickly. Don't zone out. Verse sixteen. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. See, we are not supposed to be under the regulations of the Mosaic law. And yes, there's this human like, tendency to want to make rules. And, you know, like for example, if let's say I make a religion and I say, if you do these four or five things, you say this thing, you pray five times a day, you make a special trip to a, a very grotesque place to go to, and, and you maybe do some other things, right? Then you're going to be right with God. It's just so easy. And, and the, the Bible, this faith in Christ is completely against all of that. No, no. Don't let anyone pass judgment on you in questions of, for example, the Sabbath. The Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you. Insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Just a couple more verses here. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, that's that legalistic tendency of humanity, we've died to that. Why, as if you were still living in the world, do you submit to regulations? It's like, stop it! You know, as an example, uh, the consumption of alcohol. Uh, the church, uh, you know, back in the 19, 1900s, 1920s, decided that, you know, uh, the demon alcohol was horrible, which it is. So, But then they went a step further, just like the Pharisees, which means to be a Christian means you're a teetotal. You don't drink wine. The problem with that? No support in the Bible. The problem with that? Jesus made wine and drank wine, my dear friends. So, it, it's your your elemental attitude of making ridiculous regulations and forcing it on people uh, is against the word of God. Uh, why do you submit to regulations? Do not handle. Do not taste. Do not do not touch. Referring to things. That all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have, listen to this, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom. I mean, honestly, it's unsafe to drive on the highways. You could die. So, therefore, quit driving on the highway, right? (laughs) That has an appearance of wisdom but it's going to be awfully hard to live in suburban America without driving on the highway. Um, No, no, it has an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion. You know, honestly, you can sell religion, make your own religion, make a bunch of rules, act like the authority, and people will buy it. It's like, sign me up. By the way, can I support you on my Visa card? You know, Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Anyway, let me say this, right? These are huge topics. I'm just just touching on them. Uh, But there's this glorious freedom and reality in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Clearly, Jesus is not a minor repair. He's the system of our sanctification, of our justification, fully and completely. And clearly, Jesus brings a whole new life, free from, uh, from legalism and just a life living for Him, a heartbeat that loves Him. Galatians 5.1 says, for, f- for freedom, Christ has set us free Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So I started out with this whole idea of conflict, and I I just want to end with that and say, this conflict, people are talking, and the Pharisees were saying, uh, brought out clarity, uh, brought out definition. Who is Jesus? Well, he's the whole thing. He's the bridegroom. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. He's our Savior. And, but just go back to the whole, the general concept of conflict. I'd close with this idea. Conflict, how will it define you? Uh, in your conflict, are you going to discover that you, you trust in the Lord God only? Uh, are you... Allow difficulty to push you to God is a glorious thing. Let us pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for this text. And as I have uh, tried to lay out the main ideas of this text, I pray, oh, Father, again, that you are the only teacher. And would you please teach all of us to trust you, to know you better, and to live lives of fullness and purpose. And as we are individually going through various difficulties and conflicts, Lord, I pray that it will define us and it will push us to, peop- be, to be people of faith, to be people of trust, To be people of joy in the midst of sorrow. Oh, Father. And we know that in this world we will have tribulation. That's your promise. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And that's your promise too. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We worship you, Lord of the Sabbath. We worship you today. Father, we worship Jesus who is our bridegroom. We want to celebrate With him, in joy and purity, we worship you. Thank you, Lord, for revealing yourself to us. Amen.